I grew up going to a radio station, my dad had a show about art, and he would interview people every week. Eventually, he became the development director there and then the station manager, and at one point he asked me to take over the tech show. I've been doing that show for 22 years. For the first 16 years of that, it was at the station live. KUSP was a staple of Santa Cruz community and the Monterey Bay, and that is where I had the pleasure of meeting Bonnie Jean Primch. We hit it off. Eventually, she actually co-hosted the show with me. Bonnie also taught me something very important about editing. I was complaining one day, taking the live broadcast and editing it down to make it really better for the podcast and how much time it took. And she talked about the marvels of editing and how wonderful it is to shape the conversation, to clean it up, to make it a little bit tighter and a little bit better, to make really good radio. So here it is way late in the night. And I've been editing this because Bonnie showed me it's worth it. And I want you to hear what Bonnie has to say. So here is my friend, Bonnie Jean Primsch. We join the conversation in the setup where we're trying to get Bonnie's microphone to work correctly. But then it might rattle against my waddle. You don't have a waddle. I'm becoming one of those banded neck people. Your auntie gave me a copy of Nora Ephraim's I Feel Bad About My Neck. And when she gave it to me, I said, do you know, just this today, I was feeling bad about my neck. <laughs> and so I've got, I've got these little bands that go across, which is like Bonnie's worst nightmare, along with my uterus falling out and losing all my hair, some of which may be happening. And on one of the bands, there's like freckles all the way around. So it's like a little permanent tattoo of awful. Have you thought about actually like getting tattoos of like flowers and objects and stuff? Becoming one of those Pete Davidson. Apparently it's a way to get girls is to get yourself a neck tattoo. You're automatically sharing a lot. You know, we're recording, right? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't know what that's about. Cover some bases. (laughs) So you asked what the heck's this thing about? Yeah, what's the deal, man? You know about Fun A Day, right? I know about Fun A Day, yeah. Because it's awesome. Yeah, I did that one time. I made little 30 30 illustrations. How was it for you? Uh, It was great. They were um, sort of like personal iconography. So it was useful. I feel like I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of us showed them at the uh, downstairs gallery at the Ma back in the Nina Simon days. So how did the topic of Virginia handing you a book about I Feel Bad About Neck, how did that come up? How, did you have that conversation with her or she just knew you would know it? No, no. Um, Virginia is one of the few people I've seen during the pandemic, along with my best friend, Deanna and Zachary. The two of them had a pre-conversation, I guess, about getting together for brunch. And Deanna texted me and she said, Virginia, you and me, brunch, let's do it. So we met at Aldo's. And when we showed up, Virginia had a book for each of us. That is so cool. Giving a book is awesome. And for Deanna, it was like something deep and sort of transformational. And for me, it was, I feel bad about my neck and I feel fine about it. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. So I've been picking people that I want to find out about how they, how they work and how they cope. Mm-hmm. And you, you show an intense interest in things and making the world better. That's how I think about you a lot. Mm-hmm. I also think about you as a lot of joy because mm-hmm. you and I seem to get together and have a lot of joy, though we've had a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. 
And then what was happening is I all of a sudden only have seven days left. And I'm like, I got to talk to people. Yeah. I have too many people I have to talk to. So I'm just going to push things into February, but I'm just going to call people and then have conversations with them. And then in February, I won't record them and that'll be easier. But I can't not talk to you on a radio show because we have this big, deep emotional history around radio together. Yeah. Yeah. Or I don't know, together, but yeah, partially together. Yeah. No, we, we intersected on that one. That uh, big, deep history with radio, I think has, I don't know. There's, there's the joyful, love to be connected when I'm with people side of me. Yep. And there is a deeply protective person with an instinct to retreat and withdraw also. And that person has had a lot of permission the past couple of years to run rampant. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So the way it looks is I'm in the hidey hole. I'm in the hidey hole. I'm in the hidey hole. Uh, maybe I'm in the hidey hole a little too long. I'm in the hidey hole. And then when I do uh, go out and see people I know and love, it's delightful practically every time. Yeah, good. And uh, there is instant laughter and joy. And then I go back into the hidey hole. Well, it sounds like you're picking really wonderful people to spend some time with. Well, that is true. I'm very choosy. I'm very choosy. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, I, I went into our, uh, my last round at KUSP with such an open heart, and it got so broken. So broken. So broken that we haven't actually even talked about this. Right. And I don't necessarily want to pull you into that space. I see. No, no, no. You know, uh, I go there very easily. Yeah. But it means that my instinct toward uh, protecting is even greater. Yeah. So that did it. The Trump years did it. The pandemic did it. And it's been a... Um, the end of the world is nigh, <laughs> you know. So uh, there's not a lot to calendar balance, I guess, all of those um, instincts to protectiveness. Yeah. So everything I know is not necessarily, or like know in my heart, like what to do, is not necessarily as available as one would think. Let's put our radio hats on a moment and catch the yeah. audience up to what we're talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Sound good? Sure. A few decades ago, or a couple decades ago, you started um, working and doing radio in Santa Cruz at a little radio station called KUSP. Yeah. Um, that's where, where we met. My father actually ran the station. Mm -hmm. um, I did a little radio show for about 20 years there. Mm -hmm. And that's how you and I met. And you helped make that station an amazing place to be for lots of people and amazing radio for years. And our personal connection, at one point I started working more seriously away from the campus and started working in France, and I realized I couldn't keep doing Geek Speak the level of engagement that I was. And I asked you if you would help share the burden, and you were able to take over the show as a host and make it happen for know, a couple of years, or you were, mm -hmm. we were involved together for quite a while. And yeah. it was kind of like a collaboration between the two of us. And mm -hmm. Well, at first I was just kind of like the non-geek guest, you know, yeah, sort of like a, and then a, a regular. And then uh, I, uh, while you were gone, I'd bring in alternate reality geeks every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. I've actually interviewed Wes for, for this yeah. Lunch with Lyle thing. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit of background. 
And a spoiler alert, KOSP no longer exists. It's gone from the mm-hmm. planet, mm-hmm. wiped. And it's very mm-hmm. painful for me. I'm sure you. Mm-hmm. But doubly so for you, because you... I was always just like, once a week, I'll come and participate for years. I mean, my father ran it. And even then I was just like, yeah, 20, 20 years of regularly being there, but not really taking ownership and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people asked you to do that, to step in and take ownership and responsibility right towards the end. Well, it seemed like a fun idea when what I thought the question was, is can you take over and hold responsibility for a couple of months while we find someone else? And they didn't ask me. I, I asked to do it because what I was hearing at the radio station from an outside place was, this is a fresh sound. It's an interesting direction. Sounds kind of good. And I was um, hearing from inside that things seemed to be on an upswing. So I thought I was entering a station that was on its way back up from a bottom. Yeah. And in fact, it had not yet reached bottom. It was barreling toward bottom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I said, let me in there. And they said, okay. <laughs> and then they said, we have no intention actually of looking for anyone else. We hope it works out with you. And by the way, here's what this balance sheet means. And uh, to me, it looked like how it just looked really obvious that the station was not going to be able to continue without a pretty severe intervention from angels. Yeah. So then it became a, an attempt to find angels. Is that what it became for yeah. you? Yeah. A search, search for angels. Yeah. Using the tools that were left to us. Um, I love that you use the term angels because of course in fundraising, that's what that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it also oddly enough has a great meaning in, in hospice care. Hmm which is what you actually ended up doing. Yeah. Uh, And in fact, um, once I kind of grokked what the situation was, it definitely felt like an end-of-life situation where one possibility is um, hospice and going out in comfort and style. And another possibility was all the siblings fighting about what to do in the face of things being where they were. Um, including not really admitting the end of lifeness of it all. I remember when you and I were having a conversation, you were thinking, saying, I think I'm going to step in and do this thing. And I, mm-hmm. I remember saying to you, um, you are the person that could do this thing. That's perfect. And also there was a bit of like, and it might be not possible and it might be hard. And there was all those, mm-hmm. but it was also this idea like, it felt like you, once you had that question, it became obvious that you were the only person to do that. Did it feel like a responsibility that you had to do? It felt like there was no choice in the matter once I was in there. Like, I, I don't know, like, well, I mean, the metaphor that I kept using was it feels like I'm in a rock tumbler, <laughs> just like rattling around with the boulders. And amongst that level of sort of noise and impact to my system, figuring out a way through. Mm. like navigating towards some sort of landing place. You can't navigate in a rock tumbler, Bonnie. I'll tell you what, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> mind you, I've never given birth. So keep that in mind. Have you shepherded a, a loved one to passing? No, although interestingly, this cat might be the closest thing. Um, uh, we had a cat get critical and caught us all fairly by surprise. He was like the young pup of the family. and. Uh, 
uh, our daughter was pleading from halfway across the world where she's going to college, please do everything you can to save the cat. And it looks like we might have done it, but maybe temporarily. I don't know. He's got permanent kidney disease. Yeah. And so there's managing that. Um, but we got him from, well, he might have six months to um, something more indefinite, potentially. Um, so that's exciting. But it does it does take a bit of effort. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Emerson. Oh, you probably know Emerson Murray because he worked at their station for a while. He had a radio show for a while. Maybe it's before your time. But anyway, he's a friend of mine from high school. I probably know him by face. Yeah. Yes. We hadn't talked in a while. And during that time of not talking, his father passed away. Mm. And I know his father, Roger. I, I mean, uh, I've known him for years. I've known him since high school. And we've talked and had conversations. And I remember going, hearing the news and going, oh, I'm going to go to the funeral. And then all of a sudden I'm having a conversation with Emerson and the funeral's long past. And I mentioned it really briefly. And I was editing the audio last night. And I'm like, shit, I didn't say what I meant to say to Emerson. And Emerson, if you are listening, I should say, say this in person. I'm so sorry that I didn't go to your dad's funeral. Oh. Uh. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you, if I can ask Lyle, what does it mean to you that you haven't gone or what would it have meant if you had? When I was 16, a family friend passed away, friends, my parents, <clears throat> and I didn't go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't have the closure for myself with that, with that woman, Betsy. The rest of my life has felt that way. Like I never got to close that, never got to celebrate her, celebrate her life and all those things. <clears throat> so there's a, there's a painting of her that my mother has done. It's just beautiful. And every time I see it, I feel sorrow, mm. not just for her loss, but for my non-participation in saying goodbye. So <laughs> just to give me that, sorry. That's okay. I thought sorry. I was going to stop, but you go right ahead. I'm, I'm comfortable for you to do it for both of us. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's about my relationship with Roger. I mean, mm-hmm. and of course, supporting a friend, losing a, a loved one. Anyway, mm-hmm. I bring that up partially because I just, it was, it's fresh in my mind, but also partially because, um, I, I'm okay. I can't say it's that crying, so I'm just going to try it. <clears throat> you stepping in to let, <laughs> you want to tell me more about your cat for a second? <laughs> Very cute cat. I'm glad uh, he's still here, but I'm not sure I'll ever get to take a trip again. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, ill, ill animal. You got to be there, right? I know. <laughs> and I'm doing it like, do you want to eat? I'm like feeding him while he's in bed. You know, mm. when there's a blanket worm underneath yeah. our blankets. I'm putting the wet food under there and saying, how about a few bites, you know? And then my poor husband is like, ah, <laughs> it's my bed. <laughs> but I'm, I'm all in there. I'm like, get the mess all over me. I've, you know, like, like the, the tussled hair, uh, crazy eyed caregiver. That's what I've become for this cat. <laughs> when, um, when my father's passing away in 2004, it was cancer and it was a long care session for a lot of us. And so we talked with him and all that about what kind of memorial and all that thing, I think. And mm-hmm. so we did a memorial for my father, but we didn't invite everybody he knew. We didn't make it public. It was a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. And Peter was a very public person, ran the radio station, so all, everybody at the radio station knew him. A lot of people loved him quite a bit. Not everybody was there at the memorial for him. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the public-facing memorial for my father <laughs> was you, was me. you know? I did a radio show of music he loved. We had collected some recordings of, of people sending in their 
um, condolences and well wishes and memories of Peter. And at some point, you know, other DJs came into the room. I know Gio Warner came in and some other people came in and were, you know, dealing with their feelings by helping me select music to put out on the air. And it was happening at the same time that the private memorial was happening. That's right. And you taped that and gave that to me or somebody taped it and gave it to me. Mm -hmm. And I, for years, would listen to that regularly. Mm. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> but that's not all the reason I brought up the memorial for my friend's father, Roger. Um, <clears throat> that is foundation. But then, and as much as our lives are busy and all of those things, and KOSP for most of us was a volunteer gig. You know, I, I've never received financial things from KOSP, right? It was always just a volunteer because I wanted to participate in the conversation about technology in, in the world. And I wanted to try to explain to people what this thing is that's moving our lives so drastically forward. And in some of that, my optimism, I feel, was unwarranted in because of the difficulty we see in the world, partially, largely due by things I was touting were wonderful, like Facebook, mm-hmm. without the critical eye of what they could be doing. Mm-hmm. And I did see some of that technically. I just didn't translate that into the problem that would emerge. So... There's all that kind of feeling about this. And it's one of the reasons I slowed down on Geek Speak and one of the reasons I decided to do another podcast to try to think about how can I talk about these things in the future mm-hmm. with the human condition more forefront than the technology, pretty optimism side of it. So in any case, volunteering. So all my mind was volunteering at KSP. And when you volunteer for an organization for a long period of time and there is challenges and struggles, which any nonprofit organization is involved with a lot of volunteers, that's going to happen. There's just a boundary. You just put up a wall and you just say, this is how much I'm doing. <laughs> That's it. And if you what? don't do that, you just get sucked into it. Yeah. Oh, boy, do you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, do you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when the station was collapsing and the, and the board stepped in a bit to really take management in its own hands. And, quite a bit. And off, quite a yeah, bit. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And offer, and of course, those, those board members were volunteers as well with lots of love for the station and the community. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then he invited you to come in and we and I are friends and I say, great, go for it. And then I just didn't help you as much as I should have. And more than that, the community. Did you not go to my funeral? <laughs> Did not there. I wasn't there for Kimisby's <laughs> funeral like you were. Yeah. And, um, and I just want to thank you from, I don't know if you've ever really thanked from the, from the community, the undefined community of what KOSP was, what Santa Cruz was with KOSP. I don't think that organization can thank you appropriately. Individuals can thank you. But there were so many people like me that love you and appreciate you. And we're so glad you stepped in. And then we just watched you have to deal with that crap. And I'm sorry that I and all those people did not do more. And thank you for doing what you did. <laughs> And I'm sorry it was so hard. Let me assure you, Lyle, that I have not spent one thought (laughs) on where the fuck was Lyle. (laughs) I felt like you were there for me. Apparently there was like some sort of a a forum of uh, fans of a certain kind of KUSP that uh, when it was announced I was going to be the interim general manager, they said, who the hell is that? Whoa. And you said, are you kidding? It's Bonnie Primch. Let me tell you about Bonnie Primch. And 
Uh, you were there at a critical meeting for KOSP when we had to do some really unpleasant, hard work, a really oh, unpleasant yeah. vote, and land some really hard news that did not go down well. Yeah. And my recollection is that you were there to stand up for your belief in what I was doing and what we were trying to get done there. And I think the sentence you said was something like, I trust Bonnie. And if Bonnie says this is what needs to happen, then I believe that's what needs to happen. Yeah, I remember that meeting. It was like 70 people in the room, all with yep. severe passion about everything they felt oh, around the meeting. Intense. Yes. 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 Yeah. So yeah. that was huge. I mean, I, I, in my mind, you were there when I needed you. Good. <laughs> Doing the thing I didn't, I wouldn't have thought to ask, like, hey, Lyle, can you stand up at this meeting and vouch for me? Because I'm not so sure, you know. Uh, you just did it. And it was a balm at the time. Uh, I felt extremely grateful. And um, uh, I think it helped. Well, good. I'm glad you remember that. I, I doubt now you're saying that, I do remember that. I think part of my feeling of apology is not from me directly, mm. but what I represent okay. from an of an organization. Right. I represent someone that's deeply committed to the station was doing what I could. And then that's the thing is every person is at a different level of what they can provide. Right. They're a music DJ. They've been doing a show for 10 years and they have a beautiful music collection. That's what they want to do. They want to share their music passion with somebody. Mm -hmm. And there was, you know, a lot of people in that space. And though we loved it and though we wanted it and though we had all this passion for it, when it came to do all the work necessary to keep it going, mm -hmm. we kept our level at a level that allowed us to critique and allowed us to say some positive words about the people doing things. Sure. But I still feel like if, peop if the people that were involved at the level I was, the 100 people that were doing shows and volunteering, stepped up at the level that you were doing, we might still have that station. And I know that the finances was horrible at that point. And I know that mistakes, but by the time you came in, it was kind of like you were kind of like, okay, you needed a translation for this? This is over. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, <laughs> That's what the translation is. <laughs> I, I, let me just tell you what I see. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah. That's the apology. It's the apology of the community. It's also letting that get to that point, right? It's anyway, and I don't know if it's an apology yeah. like we did wrong, but more like yeah, I don't thank so. you for doing what you did from uh, all those people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, first of all, um, I didn't hear from a ton of people. I also went into severe protect myself mode and so was not available to be thanked um, very much. Yeah. And I trust that everybody at KOSP participated at the level that they wanted to the whole time. Yeah. That was available to them because there might be some stuff there about let us in. I mean, I think that would have been a... Um, a pretty good description of a, a tenor of the conversation between volunteers and the staff. Yeah. Volunteers saying some of them let us in. The other thing I know about grief is that there's something systemically very appropriate when, for instance, we don't go to the funeral, we can't face something or we hide out 
in some way, even when our minds or even another part of our hearts are telling us, I really should be there, I should show up, your body just kind of knows. Yeah. And that's, I think, in part what the shock part of grief is about, is only letting in what is manageable. Yeah. About a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. I think it played out the only way it could have, given all of the things that had happened before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. <laughs> God, is that the whole thing? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no. Let's, well, what I, I also wanted to talk to you about is I was, I think I was trying to message you or something, and I found your account on Facebook that still says Save KOSP. Yes. I don't know how to that shut I'm that assuming, down. <laughs> I'm assuming it's a dead account that you're not yeah, engaged I'm, in anymore. And it's a little ghost. It's this weird digital artifact, mm -hmm. but it also kind of represents that it's not resolved in some way. I mean, metaphorically, technically metaphorically. Oh, that's deep. Wow. Yeah. I'm assuming that account connected to KOSP.org and you can't log into it anymore and all that. No, but, I think I just did it and I just forgot the login and I'm lazy. And you don't want to deal with it. Well, and those things got weirdly connected, like Facebook is dumb, you know. And so things would leak from one account to the next. And so... A little, if I delete that one, will it think, I mean, I'm deleting the one I wordle on all the time. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I've just kind of left it, let it be, which is why your remark is so intuitive that it, it might be a little beacon of unresolvedness. The other thing that happened is when uh, K-Squid, there's actually now a new radio station mm -hmm. in Santa Cruz that's operates very much like KOSB. In fact, some of the equipment is there. A lot of the people are there. Some of the time slots are the same, I think. Some of the time slots are the same. Yeah. It is effectively the volunteer group spinning up a radio station. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, it's got a smaller financial imprint. It's got a small, smaller broadcast area. But there is a, a music you know, radio show, radio in Santa Cruz now called K-Squid. And when they were first forming the group, of course, I got called and said, hey, you want to do the show on that? And I talked to people that I've known all my life uh, and talk about radio and thought that's wonderful. Um, and I think at one point I reached out to you and you were very clear to me about that's not going to be something that Bonnie wants to jump into. Yeah, I'm a former broadcaster. Period? Yeah. Yeah. You're on a radio show right now. Just well, called a podcast. I'm not the broadcaster. You are. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's something that you loved about radio yeah. and community that you dedicated a major part of your life to. Where is that? Uh, it's tucked away safe somewhere, I guess. It comes out hosting much smaller, like Zoom meetings. It, I'm now a, a grief supporter. I'm a grief counselor. <laughs> I lead grief groups. That's where it is. You know, it's, it's facilitating conversations among people who are in a rock tumbler, dealing with the worst thing ever, you know. You work for Santa Cruz. The hospice of Santa Cruz County. Mm -hmm. I volunteer for them. Yeah. Okay. Volunteer, for, volunteer them. for them. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm involved just as much as I want to be. It's great. <laughs> and you help people through family loss and mm -hmm. people dying. That does feel very much like what you did for KOSP. I know that wasn't planned that way. No, but you know what's odd is I was just taking the training and had just embarked on my volunteership as a grief counselor. And then I heard the call. You didn't know they were so connected. I applied all those skills immediately. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and someone haphazardly. <laughs> oh, you're not accepting this yet. Okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> oh, I wish I'd done that a lot better. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's a lot, as with mediation, which is another thing um, that I've given my heart to and set aside. As with mediation, it's very hard to have that sort of facilitative mindset when it's a situation that matters a lot to the mediator. Mm-hmm. Right? When you, you lose that neutrality, then it's much harder to hold the space. Yeah. 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 But boy, do I know how important it is to have someone who can hold the space at times like that. Well, Bonnie, one of the things that we did early on for radio is that you would step in and help me with pledge drives. In fact, you did a lot of pledge drives for KOSP. Mm -hmm. These are on-air calls. Anybody that listens to public radio knows all about them. It's if you donate now, your money will get doubled. And here's a tote bag for our appreciation. The bagelist time of the year. Yeah. What's that? The bagelist time of the year. (laughs) Lots of bagels. That's true. (laughs) Everybody's fed bagels. And the process of pitching, especially the uh, volunteer, mostly station, everybody has to do a little bit of training and get up to speed and nobody really wants to do it. And it's hard and it shows the truth about what your audience actually is and how much it cares about you in this really hard to handle way. Even when your show pulls in money and all of that, it's still a little hard to experience it. And you're saying the same things you've heard many times and you're a listener to the station, too. So you're kind of bored with it. And it takes a week to do it. Mm-hmm. And it is. Or more. Yeah. Or the vo- more. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, a, a week of on air doing it and then tons of time beforehand, writing everything, getting prepped, getting everything figured out, finding major donors. I mean, it's the major part of how a community radio station actually runs. Mm-hmm. And it is the biggest income for that radio station. Mm-hmm. It's required. Mm-hmm. So you actually, I think one of the first times we were actually ever on air together was pitch, you know, pledge drives. You'd come in and oh, yeah. do the pitch. Mm-hmm. And the trick with being. The trick with talking to people on the radio is that you don't act. You just be yourself and you be real with it. So when you're saying you listen every day, this thing is important to you. Put some money in that. It's not that expensive and we need a little bit from everybody. We as pitch people fully believe this. Mm -hmm. It's not a line. Right. And the only way to make it work is to believe it. So you have to understand what the numbers are. You have to understand how the finances work. You have to understand that this really, we wouldn't be doing this. We want to play the music. We want to have the talk show. We wouldn't be doing this unless we knew it was important. Mm -hmm. So all those things are really real for us. You were the star of making this argument. And I believe that's because you're the one that believes it the most. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Johnny Simmons, also a true believer. Also a true believer. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's not gone, right? You still believe in local radio mm-hmm. and non-commercial radio? Yeah. So where, if that's still who you are, but you're definitely not a broadcaster anymore, mm-hmm. how does that sit with you? Where, where is that in your menu? Um, I, uh, I understand that I don't need to contribute with my whole soul in order for public radio to be a viable option. It is, in fact, I'm looking around, one of the most successful uh, ways of getting information to people in this environment, where those individual contributions happen from all kinds of people. I mean, it's, it's played out. How many newsrooms have closed? How many papers? You know, what's the state of the print journalism in Santa Cruz County, even, where, where we're both, uh, where KOSP is from, is where we're both from. It's, it's quite diminished. It's quite diminished. But 
because there's um, individual contributions from all kinds of people going into public radio, that has thrived. And that model has crossed over into podcasting, yep. into certainly religious programming. They, they were early adopters <laughs> to good <laughs> effect, I think. And now every influencer is doing the same thing, you know, just uh, soliciting individual contributions from all kinds of people. People that care. The people that are there listening. And, and yeah, I mean, it's as yeah. um, a fellow broadcaster, Jesse Thorne, said, you know, if you, if you love something, help pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. The other aspect of community radio, of public radio, is that it is geographically based. And it now is just as easy to talk to someone that lives across the planet. Mm -hmm. I had a great conversation with a friend of mine in, in Australia the other day, and it was lovely. It was very intimate and wonderful, and we had a great connection. shared <laughs> <laughs> it publicly for everybody. <laughs> we are missing this actual human embodiment, this experience of being physically around people. Mm -hmm. You know, that's an experience we've all had during COVID of just having this isolation going, oh, it's not just our brain and our voice and there's actually, you know, smelling somebody and, and seeing the same thing from right next to them and having an experience that is about the full physical creature of human being, not just this idealistic brain in a jar concept. Right. Um, it's really important. Mm -hmm. And of all the mediums we have, the one that is still about locality is still about where you physically are. They, the weather's the same for both the people is that public radio feed. I mean, assuming it's not on the internet as a, as a stream as well. Are you ta you're talking about local public radio? Because some states I am. catch together like a super regional public radio. But then there's still, there's telling you the, the weather in every single one of those localities within the super region, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, I just, I think of it like when we were talking about what is the crucial thing of public radio, when it starts becoming so easy to share information and to share radio, you know, podcasting is highly successful, probably more successful mm -hmm. from a media broadcast perspective than radio has been for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, it still doesn't represent your locality. And I think that's what we, I was always kind of like, this is the thing that it has that no one else, that other mediums don't have this broadcasting tower. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not important. Maybe it's just wistfulness. I don't think my kids care about it. <laughs> Darn them. You're not passing that one on. <laughs> what what uh, do, do you listen to any public radio? Yeah, I've become a KQED listener. I'm closer to that area of things. And I can't tell you, we had little thrills. There's a fire going on in Big Sur right now as we're yeah. talking. I think even NPR would say, oh, there's a big fire in Big Sur. And then they'd cut to reporters at KAZU just down in Pacific Grove, who used to be our fierce competitor and we hated them for years. And love them too because we listened to them and we them knew who they were and all that stuff. Right. <laughs> Right. One of us crossed over. Um, and, you know, I'd hear the, those local KZU reporters, here's what's going on in Mixer, and I'd cheer for them. Yay, hey, it's us, you know. Yes, yes, it became an absolutely. us. Yeah. So yeah. that local connection, even when it's a national report that we're hearing, when we're hearing it over our local station, it's a special thrill to hear, like, the person on uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell He's actually from Monterey or something. You know, it's very fun. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. It connects us together. Mm -hmm. There's also something, you know, wonderful about um, non-commercial where you're not selling something at the same time. You're being truthful about what your sell is. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that, you know, in the in the web space, the Facebook and Googles, they're really good about not talking about who the customer is 
and um, what they're selling you or that they're selling you. Yeah, they're selling you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's great that you can still appreciate and love radio and not put yourself in it. Um, And at the same time, what a shame because you are fantastic on radio. Thank you. I'm also a pretty darn good grief counselor, I have to say. (laughs) Are you also doing a mediation? Um, On the side, very rarely. Not really. No, no. But that's the mindset is still there. Like the 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 way of the mediator is the way to get through things. And when I forget myself, um, if I can recall mediatorness, then I've got a pathway. It's still a, it's still a sort of a guiding light, you know. What is mediatorness? Hmm. Well, mediatorness specifically is uh, being neutral, valuing, hearing from all of the conflicting sides, uh, aiming for. Uh, what matters to each party, mm. and what kinds of things would go into things being better, and then tuning them into conversation. So when do you pull that into your conversations? When do you, when do you realize that for yourself? Uh, when I'm arguing with my husband. Ha <laughs> ha. Yes. Or when he and our daughter were arguing. I, I married into a ready-made family, so she is my stepdaughter. Uh, and in my home, somewhat successful sometimes at mediating fierce cat fights between them and other times not that <laughs> because it's possible to wield those tools as a weapon. <laughs> I, I, I'm, you know, I'm very good at reflecting people very angrily and then it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, it's when you're no longer neutral, then those mm. neutrality tools don't look the same. But that said, there are some specific tools that a mediator uses that are helpful in untangling uh, gruesome conversations, like making sure that you heard accurately what you just heard. Because I can't tell you how many arguments are, that reminds me of the thing you said five years ago. And my response to that is, you know, what? That's not what I said. (laughs) You know, I was just talking about something different than that. So uh, making sure that you heard accurately what you think you just heard. If it's too hot, just waiting until calmness is available, a calm conversation is available. That's my secret power right there. Mm, That's a big one. Oh, I'm having a lot of emotion about this. Let's talk about this in 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Then there's being clear with when you're feeling the way you're feeling, why you're feeling that way. Like, what is it that matters to me about this so much? Mm Mm-hmm. And then being curious about why, when the other person is also being so emphatic, why is that? What is it about the situation that matters so much to them? What am I missing? Yeah. What am I missing? So listening for what's missing, uh, when someone repeats themselves, what is it that I haven't heard yet or that I haven't understood about what you're saying? Because you're still saying it. So what is it that I haven't heard? Or haven't acknowledged that I've heard. Or have let you know that I've heard. heard, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. So, um, making sure that I've heard what I thought you said, it has a double benefit when what that looks like is repeating back what you heard. Right. Because then I know I've got accurate information and then you know that I've heard you. Yeah. And when I get it wrong, then you have an opportunity to say, well, what I actually meant was, you know, even if I've said backward for word what you said, and you realize, ooh, <laughs> that's not quite what I meant. 
So, Bonnie, you obviously have all these amazing skills. You're professionally qualified and do this. Yeah. How often do you screw up yourself? But more importantly, how long does it take for you to realize, oh, wait, I need to do this? <laughs> uh, sometimes I don't get it until after the whole thing is blown over a little bit. Like a person. Like a person. Oh, you're a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so made of meat. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so um, very often. Very often. It's not, well, the, the thing is, mediation is not a normal way of going through the world, especially when you can't really mediate between yourself and another person, because I'm not neutral on the subject of me. I'm just not, right. you know. Right. So things like mediation are good in specific circumstances, and the communication skills that go into them really only work when you've stopped long enough to calm down. Okay. So, Bonnie. Yeah. Do you meditate or do other things to figure out your own <laughs> intense feelings? Why doesn't she do anything she knows? That's so odd. <laughs> oh, you know meditation? Too. I have a cushion. <laughs> <laughs> and a brain. <laughs> I might be able to direct oh, my thought my in gosh. some way. Yeah. Yeah. Do not I have so much. a deliberate practice? No. No, I don't. Have you ever gotten to a practice of it? Mm -hmm. Have you ever tried? Yeah. And how'd that go for you? Um, I have Clintonian levels of ability to compartmentalize. What is Clintonian? Bill Clinton could compartmentalize. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I did not have sex. Okay. So meditation happens here and then there's the rest of life. Like once I've gotten up off the cushion, ah, you know, I'm back into drama world. Perhaps it's because I haven't ever done it as the filter through which all the rest of life happens. I think you have to meditate at the level of the filter through which the rest of life happens. <laughs> That's called enlightenment. Good luck on that one. It's hard. <laughs> that said, you know, there's all the science now that even five minutes of meditating calms down some yeah. brain baddies, you know, for an extended period. When I'm more into the st space of meditation and really intentional meditation, or even let me make sure that every day I spend 10 minutes just like looking at the river, mm -hmm. like not even anything more than not even self-reflective, mm -hmm. you know, thought, trying to stop myself from thinking and, and kind of coming to a neutral space. Mm -hmm. Even that, the rest of the day is actually a bit easier to be aware when you're shifting into these higher intensity levels and pulling yourself back. So I've found it very useful. At the same time, I'm not consistent. Yeah. Because that takes persistence. Right. And yeah, that's there's a whole that whole life thing. thing. Yeah, life thing. <laughs> yeah. That's the way. I mean, things like, here's what stands in for sitting on the cushion for me. Getting out in the garden, just seeing how the beds are doing, poking at them. You know, maybe I do something. Maybe I just have a good look. So the act of looking deeply. Yep. Uh, in this case, at the garden. Being present with the garden. Being present with the garden. I'd be present with the garden. Yeah. Uh, there is a time most evenings where the cats really need to be petted, you know. So then I give them a pet talk. And that is the sweetest bit of, it really is just self-talk, that I'm capable of mustering. You know, like, I, I want you to feel good. You know, that, that matters to me. I want you to feel good. Are you talking to them? I'm talking to the cats. I'm talking in, talking to you? in my voice of the cats to the cats. Yeah, you should feel good. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like super. But yeah, oftentimes I hear lessons for myself when I'm telling the cats, you know, mm -hmm. what I think yep. they need to hear. So, 
do you have uncontrolled self-talk that says Bonnie blah 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 blah? Oh my god, it is rampant. And in this era of the pandemic, there have been fewer alternate inputs. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the husband and the stepdaughter. <laughs> right. Right. And the stepdaughter's now shipped off to college. And uh, the husband has quite a bit of the self-talk going too, you know. So then we'll just self-talk at each other. <laughs> Wait, what does self-talk at each other mean? This is what's going on for me internally? Yeah. So uh, my friend Deanna Zachary, my best friend, uh, came up, found this metaphor somewhere. I don't know where she got it. But all of us are in a column, like a vertical column, that we're just enclosed by this vertical column. And uh, what's in there is like our self-talk, our view of the world. It's just me, 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 right? And most of our lives, we're just going through uh, life in our columns, being in our columns at each other. (laughs) (laughs) Just banging into each other. (laughs) You know, so what I'm saying to you, I'm really just in conversation with my column. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I visualize that as a cylinder around you, right? That just doesn't have any opening. So yeah, what does Deanna say you should do around that knowledge? Um, have it. <laughs> be, be aware be that's aware happening. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, it's useful for a couple of reasons. Uh, well, not for a couple of reasons, but in, a, in at least a couple of ways. One, oh, what happened there was we were just in our columns, talking at each other. We were being in our columns at each other. Oh. You remind the person, oh, wait, human condition, I'm isolated and we're not actually communicating. We're bumping columns together. And so now we should talk yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Or or uh, just, oh, I see. And let it go. Or, um, um, oh, maybe I'll try um, actually listening to the other person because I've just been listening to my own conversation, apparently. So what? What? You know, tune in a little extra. <laughs> Put your ear up to your column and try to find out. You can hear yeah. them. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good to (laughs) be aware of that. But basically, I don't have anything figured out. I'm right next to all I'm Alice, right? I've got all kinds of great advice. I just very rarely follow it. Alice in Wonderland. One of the early episodes of um, Lewis Carroll, one of the early episodes of, of this little podcast early in the month was with Ben Jaffe, who you know and love. Oh, Ben Jaffe. And... We talked about perception, which is another translation of Deanna's uh, column Mm -hmm. metaphor, Mm -hmm. right? Where we really are being mediated by our own perceptions all the time. And those are modified all the time by our own emotions. And so it's the it's a it's a clinical definition, if you will, of that metaphor that you're talking about. or One of the one of the other metaphors of that metaphor. Mm -hmm. And it really helped start up this whole discussion in this whole uh, podcast, because this idea that that's the big thing that we're dealing with is these isolationists that's just barred about being a human being. And then how do you deal with that? And I definitely, I know loved ones that during the COVID time that that column has gotten thicker and thicker because it's dangerous if you get out in the world and you experience other things. I mean, literally dangerous, literally dangerous for everyone, right? It is intolerable to me that you should be doing what you're doing because it threatens the protecting that I'm trying to do with myself. Right. I mean, I'm pretty sure that sentence translates to all sides of this thing. Yeah. And, and in, into politics outside yeah. of COVID oh, yeah. and all across. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. From, and you know, you're doing something bad when for me. Everything, when so many things seem as dire as they are, of course, everything becomes higher stakes and more important to us. And we have our, each individual person's 
higher self, uh, high, what is it? Better angels, mediator right. mindset, even less available because we're all too intense in fight or flight. Everything matters too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to me that when you look at things outside of the context of what it means in the world, but you just look at the embodiment of human beings engaging with each other. If you would have told me that 10 years ago, you will actually have a physical hatred for someone because of what they're putting over their mouth or not when you see them in public. I'd been like, you're crazy. Of course, I'm never going to feel that way. Yeah. I love people. And even if, no, that wouldn't be the reason. And now it like that's a reason to hate somebody is how what they put on their face, Threat. which is just amazing to me that we can translate all this complication of society mm-hmm. into this act of vile to a, another human being. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. I'm so curious. I hope that you and I are around long enough on this planet and that this planet is around long enough supporting humans for us to see how we get from this sort of pitched battle where we are, you know, somewhere on the pendulum swing closer to the middle again. How is that going to happen? I mean, I know the laws of physics require that it will. <laughs> I don't think the laws of physics dictate man. I'm uh, Everything's I'm not metaphorical. Sure. We're to win things the way we do everything. Uh, it's a fractal universe, man. I want to have your feeling that they will be okay. I mean, I, I sometimes live in a space but, where I'm not sure. Okay, yeah, okay. So but you're, somebody <laughs> in there does. My, my Aquarian self goes, oh, someday this will all... But of course, the other part of that is a pendulum keeps swinging. So we're going to spend some time in the middle and go off to the other side again. Yeah. What is the solution to this uh, dichotomy of our society where we're split between these? What is truth? What's the solution? Go. For the whole society? Yeah. How do we heal from this? I don't know. How will the pendulum start swinging? A little bit at a time. I think I'm with a Buddhist on this one. It starts with me. Mm Hmm. I mean, it's, it has a far less chance of happening if I can't at least pull it off for myself, right? Yeah. So, you know, bless all those individual practitioners. They're, they're pulling the hard work. And just really hopeful that everybody else comes along at some point. <laughs> yeah, I, I fully agree that that's the way you solve those kind of problems. You go, well, how, how can I do this better? Yeah. And in the way you engage in the world, mm-hmm. hopefully you help other people do the same. Well, it's also about where you train your attention also. And for a good read on that subject, try Richard Powers' Bewilderment. Great book. A fiction book in which his kiddo kind of flowers for Algernon, um, has a, uh, Charlie experience. We peaks and then descends. Spoiler alert. Maggie and I are right in the middle of that book. We're doing it together, okay. which has been amazing. Okay. That um, is really sweet. So yeah, I'm not sure if you're yet at the point, but some people won't be. Some people listening won't to this. So, so what happens in this book is, uh, kids troubled for mm, undiagnosed reasons. We could make up what they are and, uh, is caught up in what's not okay. And over the course of the book manages to uh, get out of that mindset and into, would you take a look at that? And just um, full of wonder, observing everyday stuff, blades of grass, you know, just the wonder of a blade of grass. And at his peak is just full of that wonder. Uh, and that wonder, that noticing about what is, is also 
oh, what is her name? The Great Turning. Uh, Joanna Macy. When it is awful like this and it seems like things are collapsing, the thing to do is to notice, is to pay attention and savor what is, because it won't always be. So while it's here, we could just blow it, worrying about the time when it is not going to be here, when we have the opportunity, when it is still here, to go, would you take a look at that? Wow. Wow. And so when I'm at my best, Lyle, I'm just noticing things. Yeah. Like your garden. Like my garden. Did you read Richard Powers' uh, book um, the about the trees, Overstory? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's good, good stuff. So it is Joanna Macy, J-O-A-N-N-A, Macy, like the department store. And the concept to read up on is the great turning. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It also very much sounds like Buddha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a Buddhist, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? Any religious uh, inclinations? If I have one, it's that, yeah. Be present? Be present. It just makes sense. And it, it intersects perfectly with concepts of mediation, how to be with someone in grief, even the symbolic modeling and clean language work that I do. They just intersect. They're congruent, I guess, with the principles of, of Buddhism. Bonnie, will you help me? In what way? I feel like I have a responsibility to people and the world. Mm-hmm. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Should I fight that or should I push everything into it? Um, hmm. What a sweet instinct. Don't be a white dude about it. Check your reasons for feeling responsible, I guess. What, what does being responsible mean? Does it mean uh, doing things for people that, they, that should happen for them? I think, or, I think responsibility is the wrong way. Yeah, obligated. With, obligated. I feel obligated oh, to do okay. because, of, because I have the time, I have the energy, I have skills, and I should use those for other people's health and wealth as well. Because more people in a better space is a better place to live. I, mm. Whatever that, you know, be... Obligated so it's, is interesting. Yeah. You used that term earlier when you were talking about stepping into that role of KSP, I think. Yeah, there, there it was no it wasn't a sense of choice. It was just a, a, a had to. Yeah. I think sometimes I wonder how much my motivations to do things like have podcasts and be public and post pictures of my animals, whatever, is for this like egotistical stroking that I get potentially for from that. Mm-hmm. And that I've always tried to fight. And then I was hearing recently about about uh, how odd it is that we don't talk about our um, donations, our philanthropy when we, when we donate money to things, because there's something that it's like secret about that. But the feeling and it's kind of like it, it shouldn't be public because then you'll get good feelings about being generous or something. Well, I thought it was because we don't want to get knocked on the door by all the other nonprofits. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. But I think there's something, this idea that like you should be able to give without getting any benefit from that. So if you're giving and then you get kudos for it mm-hmm. and public praise, then it's not pure and therefore it's not as good. But the truth is, if your money is going into something that you believe is a good thing for the world, it doesn't really matter what your motivations are in some way because you are giving. Mm-hmm. And it feels the same way about the egotistical stroke things. Is it a like, 
if I getting benefit from having, from doing things that are, I don't know, it feels there's some, there's some kind of corollary there. Yeah. I feel like I want to recommend you all the things we read in my book club. So, so if you're doing things for other people, there is sort of a joy aspect in there, which is, is to the good. Um, you can't help but get something. If what you're doing is facilitating what someone else's stated needs, I guess. Mm. Um, you're not pushing upon them something. Yeah, yeah. But you'll notice in the act of being there for someone or some other organization and helping them with their thing, there is a good feeling that comes with that. And uh, yes, that, that seems to be part of the human system, actually. That, that goody feeling is part of how humans are fed. I think that's a bit of important nourishment. We're not just about avoiding suffering. We're also for going for joy. Yeah. So, so Desmond Tutu and uh, the Dalai Lama hung out for their 80th. And it resulted in a book called The Book of Joy. And uh, in it, they talk about uh, probably the easiest way out of feeling low yourself is to do for others. Because you get yeah. some of that, some of that good human juice. Is that why you're volunteering too? in hospice? Yeah. Yeah. But you're making in that, asking that question. I'm, um, that, that is a tenor of my panic conversations too, about the state of the world is like, we ought to do more. Why, why is there a plastic bottle in the house? Ah, you know? Yeah. Um, there, there is sort of like a panicked obligation feeling too. Um, when there's so much, uh, that needs some good loving attention and there's so much that needs yeah. some good loving attention. So what do you do about that one? Give what you can to people. Give what you can, but also take a breath. You know, you're one person. You can do one person's amount. Probably do more if you contribute to an already existing effort and try to generate one all by yourself from scratch. Yep. But there's no way that you or I or anyone is going to be able to stop the bad things from being bad with our one person's effort. So uh, being in um, firefighter mode about those things is not going to result in the desired effect of everything being better. (laughs) (laughs) It's just going to be you running around. Yeah. And needing managing, yeah. maybe. Yeah. 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 Someone else to help you sit down and get some oxygen. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So. Well, Bonnie, thank you for talking to me about this. Was there anything else that we touched upon that we have a thread that you'd like to. No. Pull on for a second? No. Yeah. I'm, uh, I will say that even in the pandemic, um, with these digital tools, it has been a- possible for me to feel more connected than my physical movements through the world would indicate. So I'm very grateful. And for this as well, I think this is the longest conversation I've had in years. I agree. Yeah. Since we were going after a show to have lunch and Mm -hmm. yeah. Gee, that was fun. I got to say, that's the thing I've been getting out of this little fun a day project I've been doing this month. Aren't you clever? That and I need to 
be better about sleep. Other than that, um, it's about just connecting with people that I love and don't, you know, don't spend the time to do. And uh, structuring this, like have a conversation regularly is such an amazing way. Like I called you because partially because of this podcast, I've been thinking about you regularly for 10 years, but, yeah, but I hadn't a little called more you. structure for the outreach. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Useful. Well, I'm grateful. Thank you. I'm grateful too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie, for doing this talk with me. I'm I'm glad to talk to you finally a bit about the KOSP pain. And um, if you ever want to talk more about that or anything, please do let me know. Thank you. I feel like all those boulders are still in there wanting to tumble out. That's what it feels like to me, too. Yeah. I'm talking with you. Yeah. Oof. It's there. It's there. Yeah. And opening that door is like a, a lot's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. What, boulders coming out that's impactful so i've been i've been really um preferring i guess unresolved to expressed yeah so far yeah it's also interesting to hear that you're volunteering because that's a big piece of that of that all i mean there's a lot of volunteering and and giving yourself you're giving time and energy is not everybody does that mm-hmm. it takes a lot and that you're even with this kind of boulder of hardness inside you, you're still doing that. You're still, you know, giving to the community in a really meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Your time and energy and your emotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's good. You're not broken. I'm not broken. <laughs> I'm just super choosy. <laughs> and maybe, you know, I mean, there is, I do, there's this uh, phrase. Well, you know about bogarting, right? To don't bogart the joint. The joint. Which means don't right. hold it. Other people need that. Bogarting, which came from, I guess, uh, Humphrey Bogart giving a big long speech and keeping the cigarette too long or something. I don't know. So from that concept, I, I came up with don't bogart the flow. Right? There's like a flow in the universe. And the more I hold on to something, kind of bogarting the flow. Nice. So uh, if I were really doing it right, those boulders would not be in there still. Like I would have, I would have just been open wide and let them come tumbling out. Oh, I like, I like that idea. There's something beneficial for the whole universe, you know, if I can pull that off. But I'm just not ready. Yeah, it's, it's like as we live our lives, that, in that kind of metaphor, as we're living our lives, we have this wake and this, this stuff that holds on to the flow and kind of we have noise around us by the way we process through this giant wake of life or something. Mm-hmm. And the more you can let those things go through, the less currents and eddies you're producing. Yeah. That's a neat idea. I like that. I, I came up with it originally through the artist's way, and it was a, a coming up with my creativity affirmation. You know, there's a flow in the universe. Uh, when I create, it is that flow moving through me. When I don't create, I'm bogarting the flow. Don't be so mean. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Maybe this helped me be a little less mean. I don't, do you, are you mean? By bogarting the flow, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Restrictive <laughs> yeah. in the flow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It comes across, can come across as mean. Sure, that's a side effect of it, right? Sure, yeah. It can, yeah. It can do. Yeah. Yeah. Snappy. Yeah. Peevish. I love you, Bonnie. <laughs> I love you too, Laugh. <laughs>